All right, First Peter chapter number five. We're going to probably take this week and next week, and we'll be finished with our study in the book of First Peter, and we'll choose another book of the Bible, and we'll go through that and study it verse by verse like we're doing through this book as well. Who wrote the book of First Peter? Just, just yell it out. Peter, yeah, the first Peter. The first Peter, he did. The Pope, he's the Pope, right? Isn't first Peter the first Pope? Isn't that what? No? All right. That's what I had heard. All right. Not true, huh? How many of you learned that? He was first Pope. Yeah. All the ex-Catholics learned that. He was the first, first Pope. So this is the first Peter, all right? And he wrote to who, specifically? He wrote to Jews. Exactly right. Peter wrote this to Jews that were what? Scattered abroad. What caused them to be scattered? Persecution. Persecution for being Jews? No, persecution for being Christians. These Jews no longer are following um, the law. They're no longer believing what they were taught. Now what's happening is they are Christians. They are believing in this, this Jesus who now they're saying he rose from the dead. They're, they're believing their whole, their whole life has now changed. And Peter is, is writing to them because of the persecution that they're dealing with. Because of persecution, they're saved. They're going through suffering. We, we titled this the journey of suffering because what Peter is dealing with, he's dealing with Christians that are dealing with suffering in their life. Peter understood suffering. Peter was one that was resistant to suffering initially when he first uh, uh, Christ found him. And, and you remember Peter was the one that, that uh, denied Christ and didn't want to, uh, didn't want to uh, uh, be persecuted for being a Christian. Now you find Peter who is bold in the faith. And he's teaching and he's helping other Christians to be bold in their faith. He's helping the Christian to understand that persecution and sorrows are going to come. Don't get upset, Christian, when sorrows come. But understand what God is doing with those sorrows because what he desires is that you to live a life such a way where others see Christ in you. That's the goal of what Peter is helping the believer here. They're close to giving up. You ever been close to giving up? You ever question God, where are you? Why are you allowing this? The thought of persecution or the thought of the pain you're going through. So these are, these are believers as well. This is something that we must note to understand the, the, uh, the book. These are not Christians that Peter says, now I want you to understand persecution is going to come. And when it comes, I want you to behave this way. What Peter is writing to, he's writing to Christians that are going through persecution right now. They understand what he's dealing with and what he's saying because they're feeling it, they're living it. They woke up that morning and, and the government's against them. Some, some are ladies that have trusted Christ as their savior and the husband wants nothing to do with Christ and they're, they're gonna go through persecution because of their faith. In some, it's, he's speaking to the husband. Others, he's preaching, uh, speaking to the servants or the, even the, the, uh, the masters. He's teaching them how to deal with trouble how to deal with persecution when it comes never does he say flee it and pray for it to be gone what he does is gives us the help to be christ-like through it now this is this is ironic because this is peter this is put your foot in your mouth peter 
This is deny Christ, Peter. This is the one when Christ said, Peter, I'm going to go and die. And he says, no, you're not. And there's no way that's going to happen. And this is, this is not the one that was always on, on uh, 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 right with the Lord and, 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 and doing what was right. This is the one that often had to go back and apologize. Peter understands now he's at the place where he has suffered persecution. Peter is going to die. Peter is going to be uh, taken and he's going to be uh, uh, what's, what history tells us of the Apostle Peter is that the Apostle Peter was, was hung upside down, crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like his Savior. So his, his, his sentence was crucifixion and he hung upside down and he died for his faith in Christ. He comes to, he comes to chapter number five. Chapter number five is the conclusion to this book. Now remember, as Peter wrote this, he did not write verses and chapters. This was a, a letter. Matter of fact, he says it's a short letter. This was a short letter that Peter wrote. And, and we're coming to the end of this letter here in chapter number five. And he says this, the elders which are among you, I exhort. What does the word exhort mean? Somebody? Encourage? Yeah, so the elders that are among you, I encourage, he says. And he also then identifies himself. He says, who am also an elder in a witness of the sufferings of Christ? And so Peter is identifying himself. He says, I want to exhort the elders, the, those that are, that, are, that are leading the church, those that are um, older. I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. And I'm identifying myself with you. And I'm also saying this. I've been there. I've seen Christ's suffering. You know, that's important just, just, just by way of introduction into this chapter. That's important because what does Peter continue to do in every single chapter? In every chapter, he points back to Christ. In every chapter, what he says is live your life in such a way where you respond like Christ responded. So when Christ was persecuted and he didn't open his mouth and he didn't, he didn't, he didn't uh, 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 try to get vengeance back, what he, what he did was say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In every area, Peter points us back to Christ. And Peter now in chapter number five, in this very first verse, what he's saying is this, I can say that we ought to behave like Christ because I've seen Christ go through it personally. And so when I say we need to behave like Christ did, I'm not reading a book. I'm not going off what somebody else says. I'm telling you that I saw Christ suffer and he behaved wisely. And so here is somebody that had a firsthand account. And he says, those that are elders, those that I encourage you, because I'm an elder, I've witnessed the suffering of Christ. And he says this, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He says this, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples or examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. He says in verse number five, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the, high, the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. 
the elders in the church, they were there to provide supervision. The elders are there to provide protection, to provide discipline, to provide instruction and direction for the believers. That's the purpose of the elders in the church or the pastor in the church. There are two positions that God has ordained in the church. One is a pastor and one is a deacon. One of the things we're doing right now with our deacons, we're going through, I gave them some things to read and we're going to this year go through what is a biblical deacon? What is it? If the church has to have them, then what are they to do? What are their roles? Here we find that Peter is talking to the elders of the church and we find this, that the elders are there. They're there to supervise. They're there to protect. They're there to discipline. They're there to instruct. Instruct or supervise or discipline in what areas? All going back to the word of God. That's the purpose. That's the purpose is so that the word of God is taught. The word of God is preached. The word of God is, is there so that the people can continue to grow. I find that in verse number two, the Bible says this. He says the feed the flock of God, which is among you. Now he's not talking about, he's not talking about dinners on the ground. Even though we enjoy those, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, he's not talking about physically making sure everyone has food. What he's talking about is spiritually, making sure that spiritually you're teaching them the word of God so that the believer can continue to grow in their knowledge and in their faith in the word of God. So the believer continues to trust because the believers here are going through a major event in their life and most of them have never had to experience what they're experiencing right now. Their lives have changed. Their lives have turned upside down because of the gospel. And now they're facing something they've never faced. And what Peter is wise enough to know is this. Nothing physical is going to help you through this time. What's going to help you is spiritually you're challenged to grow. You're helped. And so he is told here to, to feed the flock. And so as we look at that this evening, I want to talk, first of all, I want to talk about shepherding of God's people. The shepherding of God's people in the midst of a trial or in the midst of persecution, or the midst of sorrow. There's a purpose. Church is not something that we just simply do on Sunday and then we spend the rest of our week doing whatever we desire to do. Church is supposed to be a place where we come and to get physically or, or to get spiritually uh, 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 healthy from the word of God. We find here, he says this, I want you to feed the flock. Now, isn't that ironic? Isn't that exactly what Christ told Peter to do? If you were to, if you were to look in, in John chapter number 21, if you're taking notes, if you'll just write down John chapter number 21 in, in uh, uh, we for sake of time won't have the time to go there, but in verses number 15 through number 17, what you would find is Jesus saying to Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. Jesus knew that there was going to be a time in the believer's life where they're going to need a shepherd, where they're going to need spiritual health, where they were going to have someone that come alongside them to encourage them to continue to live for God. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where somebody has come alongside of you to encourage you when you are ready to give up or ready, ready to just kind of give in. But Peter here is, is saying to the elders here, there is an opportunity for you to take and invest in the life of someone else because the believers need that investment. Feed the flock, he says. Feed the flock, which is among you. He says, taking the oversight thereof. Now, when he is talking about this 
word oversight. He is speaking specifically of the spiritual oversight of the people. This is not, this is not an area where the elders are the dictators and everyone does whatever they want done. Do you know here he's not talking about personal preferences. He's talking about what the Bible says, how a Christian ought to act, what the Bible says, how a Christian ought to respond, what the Bible says, what a Christian ought to believe. He says, I want you to feed them. Taking oversight. There There are some, you know, in every area of our church, there's a lot of decisions that are made here at Monclova Road Baptist Church that I, the truth is, I don't even know they're being made. Neil Black will deal with something in the school and, and, and he'll deal with it. And I'll say to him, I really don't need to know every, every detail of everything. There's some decisions that Tom might make. There's some decisions that teachers might make. There's some decisions that, that are made that, that I, as the overseer, may not, may not know every decision that's being made. But you know what one of my main responsibilities when it comes to the teaching or the preaching of the word of God, I have to be involved in all of those decisions. It is my responsibility as a pastor of this ministry to be sure what's being taught in what's being uh, uh, told when the word of God is open, that it is correct and truthful. To make sure that it's doctrinally sound. To make sure that, it's, that, that, that what's being told, someone begins to believe it, they're believing what's right. Last year when we started remodeling the auditorium, I said to Tom, I don't wanna be involved. I don't want to be involved. I don't really care what this or that or what this looks like. I don't want to be involved. I, I said to him, I want you to uh, hire maybe Kent Buer to see if his company would do it. And he went to Kent and, and Kent, who had somebody that, that uh, uh, does that for a living, he said, you know what, I'll donate all of our time to get that done. Because I didn't want to walk around every day being concerned with the color of something, does this match, does that match? I don't want to be concerned with that because my responsibility is to be sure that what is taught and preached is done correctly in every area. Whether it be at, at grief share or whether it be at a men's Bible study or whether it be at the jail or whether it be at, at uh, 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 Sunday school class or whether it be at when the ladies get together and, and write thank you cards or I love you cards to people in the church. Wherever the word of God is being taught, it is my responsibility to be sure that it's being taught correctly and doctrinally sound. And that's what Peter's talking about here. Because it's the word of God that helps when somebody's suffering. It's the word of God that we hold on to when we feel like everything else is falling apart. It's the word of God that we, we latch on to when, when things in life don't make sense. When we go through persecution, it seems like everyone has forsaken us. When it seems like the bottom has dropped out, it's the word of God and it's the faith in the word of God, the truth that has to be taught. And so here he's saying there's oversight that must be taken. But then he says this, not by constraint, but willingly, not, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but by being examples or examples to the flock. I want you to, I want to give you, I want to give you four things here this evening and uh, write these things down. These are, these are characteristics of an elder in the church. 
He describes here several, several characteristics of a good leader. Right there in those few verses, he describes what, what a good leader in a church ought to be doing and ought not to be doing. He says this, number one, he says this, the, they, they, they realize they're caring for God's flock, not their own. They're caring for God's flock, not their own. You know, the elder or the pastor of the church, he is never the shepherd of the church. You know who the shepherd of the church is? It's Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Christ is always the head of the church. Man, there is never a place, a time where man becomes the head. They're always, Christ is always the head of the church. And the church people are God's people, not a man's flock. And so what he is showing us here in this very first verse is that we as a elder, those that are leading, those in leadership positions in the church, they're to feed the flock of God, but they're, 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 to, they're to be sure what's being taught is doctrinally sound and correct, but they're not to do it by constraint, but they're to do it willingly. I want you to write this down. Number two, they lead out of an eagerness to serve, not out of obligation. A good leader leads out of, out of eagerness to serve, not out of obligation. Listen, there are things that I, as the pastor of this church, may not enjoy doing, but I get to do those things, and it's a blessing. One of the things that I don't like to do is to get a late phone call, not because I don't want to get up at night and, and leave, but because that normally that late phone call means somebody's sick, somebody's dying, somebody's in the hospital, somebody's at hospice, they need somebody in their home, something's happening. And so yeah, I, I, I can't, as the leader, say, you know what, I don't want to do these things. I'm doing it because I have to. No, I'm doing it because I want to be a minister to somebody else that's hurting. And so Peter is helping the leaders of the church here realize, you know, part of leading people is leading hurt people. Sal Yanizzi, who did a missions conference, he taught me this probably 20 years or so ago. He said this, if you minister to hurting people, you'll always have an audience. Because there's hurting people everywhere. Church is not a museum where, where, where healthy people come to show off. It's a hospital where hurting people are that need help. And, and a good leader, a godly leader is someone that is there, not, not grudgingly, not saying I have to go do this, but somebody that's eager to help because knowing this, they don't belong to him, they belong to the Lord, and the Lord has allowed you to be a part of their life to help them through a sorrow. You know, I hear this more often than I like to hear, Pastor, I just didn't want to bother you with this problem. And I'll say this, but that's what I'm here for. I don't want you to go through this problem alone. I don't want you to go through this problem without, without help. I don't want you to go through this problem without encouragement. And, and Peter says to the elders, I exhort you, I encourage you to understand this because he knew that the Christian was going to live a life where they needed spiritual help and they needed someone to walk alongside of them to encourage them not to give up and to live for God. And so we find... We find here that they lead out of eagerness to serve and not out of an obligation. Number three is this, they're concerned for what they can give, not for what they can get. A good leader is always concerned, a good spiritual leader in the church is always concerned, what can they give? 
not one that's always looking for what I get out of this. I tell you, as a pastor, one of the one of the most difficult things to do is when you do a funeral of a church member and they try to pay you for it. That's hard. That's I don't I don't I don't like that. I've tried to give it back to people and they get offended on it. But there are things that a good leader should be doing not to get, but to give. Again, Peter's saying there's hurting people. You can't go around looking to serve people to see what you can get out of them because you might not get anything and you still have to give. I want you to write this down. Number three, a good leader in a church, a, a church leader would do this. They lead by example, not by force. Listen, the, the position of a pastor is never a dictator. Well, we're going to do it this way because I said so. That's by force. Listen, we, we want to serve God and encourage you to serve God. And so what's going to happen is this. There's going to be a time where if you, if you, if you live by example, you're consistent, you're, you're constantly showing others how they're supposed to live in time of difficulty, in time of sorrow. If you're an example, others will follow that example more than they're going to follow you because you said so. The best way for a leader, a godly leader to, to uh, live is by example. Every area of your life, somebody's looking at. Do you ever hear that glass house? You live in a glass house. Someone always sees in. Our whole back of our house, we, we, when we moved in, it was summertime. The trees were filled and, and uh, my wife said, let's not put any any like blinds on the back of the house the sun will come in it's going to be like a you know like like a little resort just her and a cup of coffee and sun jacob he said we got a little little pond uh behind our house a real small little pond and these ducks come in and and then the cats chase the ducks and and then then the groundhog chases the cat i mean it's like it's like um, the Garden of Eden gone wild out there. You know, it's crazy. And Jacob said, I got an idea. I'm going to shoot. I'm going to shoot, you know, the duck or the cat or the groundhog, whatever I can aim at and shoot. I'm going to do that. I said, son, you can't do that. There's houses. Right. He said, that there's nothing. Look, you can't shoot. I said, son, there's houses. Trust me. You ever do that to your teenager? Just trust me. Believe me, please. You can't do that, son. And I think police officers frown on that, don't they, Nick? Shooting guns within it. Yeah. You can't, just, you can't just shoot things. Oh, Dad, there's nothing there. And Michelle says, yeah, it's just trees. It's like, it's like, a, like we live in a wooded forest, you know? And I said, no, that's just a tree with a lot of, a tree with a lot of leaves. That's all it is. Well, no blinds because, you know, it's just sunny. Then fall came. Fall came, and tree, the leaves started falling down. The, the leaves did, and then half the tree, and they started, what is that building there? That's a house. And what's that one? That's a house, and what's that? That's a house, and what, that's a house. There's nine of them you can count here. You know, the ones that weren't there? Well, who put those there? They've been there the entire time. 
Then all of the leaves came off, and you can now just reach out and touch the neighbor's house. You can, we wave, hey, how are you doing? The whole time, the back of our house is wide open. No privacy. You ever just like want to get something to eat in the middle of the night? You better be dressed all the way because the neighbor that's getting something to eat in the middle of the night, he's going to see you. You're going to wave and then realize, oh my. <laughs> you live in this house where everyone can see in. Sometimes leaders don't like to live in a house or those that are serving don't like to live in a house because they don't want what people can see. You know, Peter is going to help us understand you've got to be right in every area because someone's always watching. And a good leader is an example to others so that when you are going through, you know, if, if, if someone says, boy, you ought to endure persecution and, and you ought to stay faithful and, and then all of a sudden uh, persecution and hurt and harm and, and suffering comes to their house and they, they, they get up and run and they've done everything that they told you not to do, it's hard to trust. What Peter is going to help the elders here understand is you yourself are going to go through suffering. You yourself are going to go through persecution and you have got to live in such a way that you're an example to others as they watch what you're going through because they need to see somebody living the way they say you're supposed to live. And so he says this, they lead by example, not by force. And so he's giving us the, the, the way that God's leadership is supposed to behave in the midst of suffering. And then he says this, likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. He says, this is the way I want an elder to act. And then he says, I want to make sure that the younger respect the elder. And I want to also make sure the elder respects the younger. And both of you are to live where you're living in humility. Because anytime there's pride, there's going to come contention. Now what he's doing is he's giving us a very good way for the younger and the older to be able to, to, to uh, function while they're both serving the Lord and being an example. We, um, when I was in Georgia and I was pastoring a church there, there was, there were some men that were doing some concrete work for us. And, and I went out and I witnessed to him and invited him to church. And the man that was doing, it, he looked at me and he says, is this a white church or a black church? First time that question has ever been asked me. I said, well, it's, it's a brick church. Actually, it's a red brick church. He says, no, I mean, you know, you're a white guy. You know, so you probably have a white church and we're black and so we probably wouldn't fit in your church. I didn't know. I honestly didn't know people still thought that way. But you go down south and they do. Is, is this, and, and they said, well, you just wouldn't feel comfortable. I said, well, you should feel comfortable. I'm the pastor. I want you to come. And, 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 and he just kind of explained, that's, that's not, we just might not feel comfortable. And, and I, that was foreign to me to think that, that the color of somebody's skin would dictate if they could serve the Lord together or not, or comfortable serving the Lord together or not. That's, that's not right. It doesn't matter the color of someone's skin. They ought to, they ought to uh, uh, look past that and not even let that be a concern. Listen, I'm so glad, I'm so glad when I was interviewing, when I knew Stephen and I got his resume and I gave all his resume out to uh, the men on our advisory board and our deacons and I said to them, guys, there are several of the guys here in this room, I said, guys, I want you to take a look at that resume and there was a picture of his family on that resume, right? You were there. 
And I said this, I said, what do you think? Would our church accept a black song leader? And they looked at me and they said, why would you even ask? I said, man, I'm glad. I'm glad that was their response. I was so glad that that was the response because if the response would have been anything other, I'd have been pretty discouraged. They said, why would you even ask? And I said, I'm not, forget I even ask. Move on. You know, here we find this younger and the older. We find here there's two different groups or two different age groups in the church. Listen, there should not be, that's a church for old people or that's a church for young people. It should be a place where both generations can serve. But listen, you can't serve, both generations cannot serve if either will allow preferences to get in the way of doctrine. Do you know this? There are some people that leave a church off on preferences and they would stay at a church that has false doctrine. There's something backwards there. If you're willing to compromise on doctrine because of preferences, there's something wrong. If anything, we ought to compromise on preferences and not doctrine. Doctrine ought to be sound. But sometimes, sometimes, and I'm not picking on anybody older, but sometimes somebody is set in their ways that's older and they think this is the way it's supposed to be. And that is just simply a preference, not the Bible. And then there's maybe someone younger thinking this is the way it ought to be and and they're set on something that's a preference and not a doctrine. And if not careful, that can cause great division in a church. It can cause great division. Do you know this? We had people leave our church because we carpeted the auditorium. We did. Because we remodeled. Crazy. It's true. We, we, people can leave over things that you look and you say, why would someone get upset over that? You know, last couple weeks ago, we had, we had a couple kids that were playing. I, listen, I love, I love, I love seeing Stephen up here playing and singing. Love it. I, it thrills me to know that there are teenagers that can serve the Lord. He's got a good voice. He's got a lot of talent. I just told our staff, I don't care whoever is the next uh, 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 worship pastor we bring in. I want kids like that to intern in our church one day to use their talent for the Lord. Do you, know, do you know there are things here that, that what Peter is helping us to understand, he says, you, ye that are younger, submit yourselves unto the elders. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Pride always brings division. I'm right and everyone else is wrong always brings division. Do you know what the truth is? There is no human being alive today that is right all the time. But sometimes we behave like we are. Sometimes we respond like we are. My wife said something, I shared this at the marriage retreat. One of the things I learned, my wife said something Friday of the marriage retreat and we were getting ready to, to, to start and, and we just went out and got a bite to eat and would come back to the, the hotel to, to, to start. And she says, I hope you, you, you uh, I, I thought you should have done this, this and this. And, and I said to her, why are you waiting until today to tell me? That was a great idea. That would have helped everybody here. Like, that would have been something. And I said, you should have told me that a week ago. Why didn't you tell me? And she looked at me and she said, because you wouldn't have listened. (sighs) Nick, I was so mad at her. (laughs) 
getting ready to go into a mission, the marriage conference, and I'm, mad, I'm mad at my wife. And I said, what do you mean I wouldn't listen? She said, because sometimes if it's not your idea, you don't think it's a good idea. I said, now, you know what? Now, you really need this, this marriage conference. You know that? <laughs> good grief. The more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, she's right. I needed, I needed to humble myself and allow somebody to speak into what I'm doing in my life because I'm not always right, even though, you know what? Most of the time, I don't like it, but I think I am. And that's probably human nature for a lot of people. And you know how I know it's human nature? Because Peter wouldn't have put it in here. And most of the time, then when ha what happens is he's speaking to people that are suffering. What happens is this. In my suffering, I start to deal with how it affects me and what I want and how I want it. And I stop cons being concerned with someone else. He says, I want you to submit yourself. Be concerned with someone else in your life, not yourself all the time. You know what causes so much division? It's all about me. It's how it makes me feel. It's about how make, what I want. It's about everything about me. And Peter's saying here, when you're going to deal with suffering people, you need to realize this. They don't need what you want. You need to be, be submissive and humble enough to meet a need in somebody else's life. I've got some cross-references here that I'll give you if you're, if you're taking notes. If Just write these things down and go back and study these. I've got to be done. 2 Corinthians 1.24, if you'll write that, that reference down. 2 Corinthians 1.24, talking about humility. Philippians 3.17, if you'll write that down. Philippians 3.17. And go back and also check Titus chapter 2, verse number 7. Look through those, and, 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 and then Proverbs, Proverbs 3.34 and James 4.6. Proverbs 3.34 and James 4.6. If you'll go and study those as well, those specifically, those two last verses specifically talk about humility. He says this, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. That's who I'm humbling myself. I'm not going to surrender or submit myself to someone else. No, what you're doing is you're humbling yourself before God. Just like, Greg, your testimony, when, when, when we're out, out here, whether it be your marriage, your friendship, or any other area, when you're, when you're out here and you're going farther and farther apart, how do you get closer together? You humble yourself before God. And the closer you get to God, the more humble you become in, in God's eyes, the closer you can get to each other. Because the reality is, is we have our way of thinking, we have our way of doing something, and sometimes we don't really want what somebody else has to offer. He says, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God that you may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you.